The Man, submitted by Joseph. Hey, Nick and Edie and fellow uglies. Woo! When I was 11, one night my parents were going out. I was going to be left home alone. While they were getting ready to leave, I look in the backyard. A dude was standing at the door, butt naked. I screamed for him to get off my property. He did not acknowledge my presence. I went to my dad's room, grabbed his shotgun, and I shoot at the guy. He bolts out into the woods like a madman. Of course, this alerted my parents. My parents ran to me and asked if everything was okay. Because I was scared, I lied. I saw a wolf near the back. The next week, I told them what happened. Well, I hope this wasn't too long. Hope you put it on the podcast. P.S. I always wonder how to give a billion stars. Stay safe, uglies. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to the True Scary Stories with Edie podcast. This is a podcast where two comedians read scary stories submitted to us by our fans, the uglies. Woo! What's up, you guys? This story was submitted to us by uh, Joseph on our Facebook group. If you want to submit a story, you can do it on our Facebook group at True Scary Stories with Edie, on our Instagram at True Scary Stories with Edie, or on our website, True Scary Stories with Edie. This is a podcast that has commentary after every story. So if you're not into that, you should check out Just the Terror, which is our podcast that comes out Sundays right here where you're listening to True Scary Stories with Edie. Yeah. That was pretty good. Sounds really good. That you was did a, it. that one was there was a little a couple hiccups, but we it was should, like almost perfect. Say, we we should just end at the podcast right there. <laughs> we should just be like and stay safe and then just that's Yeah, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you know, it's it only took 2 years, but I'm right there. Yeah. Getting now catching you up to You finally know who you are and catching what you're up to doing. what a normal person would have already done the a week in. <laughs> well, you try to do it by memory. I I mean, I've been on radio shows and they do it like they have the paper in front of them that they read off. Nick, of. we've all been on radio shows okay, okay? we get it you're, you're a big you don't celebrity. like using a teleprompter i get it you're a big celebrity we get it no we get it i remember it. i brought you on a radio show yes yeah. and we get it okay right. uh so this is what i think of your story of course we're going to share it it's i mean it's spooky it also seems very true just because of how you had lied about something you didn't even have to lie about i remember doing that so many times as a child just like yeah being scared of saying something wrong, I guess. So yeah. you just like make something up and it's a, a lot of times it would be worse and yeah. you would get like in more trouble yeah. for making something up. It's, I don't know what I, I don't. There's got to be a word for that in some language, like when you're young and you lie for no reason. Uh, yeah, it's interesting that I don't kids know. will do that. And, you know, it's usually kids will do that when they Are have afraid. spoken up before about something they're fearful of. And the parents are usually like, stop it. That doesn't well, okay. exist. This is maybe this is my theory. Maybe you you do that because you're when you're a kid you're learning still what right and wrong is, what's yeah. embarrassing and what's not. Yeah. So you just lie because you're like I'm not sure about this one. Yeah, yeah, of course. So you're it. like I just saw a ghost, but it's like if I say that, am I? All right, what are my parents going to think? What's going to happen? Well, at least he told them the next week, <laughs> and they were probably like, "I wish you didn't tell me that." Yeah. Um. But yeah, I think you definitely saw something. I'm happy that you shared your story with us. It seems pretty cut and dry here. Um. I would say you are haunted currently. You will be haunted for the rest of your life, and you have a huge curse on your family. And uh, whoa, it's all your whoa, fault. Why I'm, you just all that, man? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You got a shotgun. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Anyways, Nick, what do you have to say about this one? Nothing. Okay, good. All right, good. Anything else? Next story. All right. Next listener story. This one is submitted to us by Anonymous. That's how you know it's going to be good. And it is called The Gatekeeper. I've been reading and practicing hoodoo, voodoo, and witchcraft for a while now. And ever since, my spirit radar has been through the roof. One night, as my fiance and I were sleeping, I got up to pee, but I always check on her. It seemed like she was vibrating. I'm like... Holy crap, this is strange. 
I got closer, but I brushed it off as reading too much into things, projecting what I'm seeing. Fast forward next night, he finally appeared, Yagu Laugat, very intimidating, asking my request. I was shocked. The gatekeeper is here. I lost my train of thought. He whispered, I'll be back to collect when I, what I'm owed and you will get what you want. I'm not scared at all. All I'm wondering is ever since he appeared, my senses of the spirit world have been heightened. It feels like I've fallen down the rabbit hole of dark arts and spirit realm. To anyone attempting to contact deities and spirits, don't. And saying Yagu Lagat's name will invite him into your realm. So don't speak it. Love your podcast, guys. I always give you five stars. Oh, man. And then we just spoke it into our room. I changed the name after oh, we... Okay. Yeah, Thanks. yeah. <laughs> I was like, man, don't be trying to trick us yeah. into bringing your demon yeah. into our life. Yeah, it was probably so, it's some kind of weird, like, chain mail demon. Yeah. You remember when you, like, when... I'm so old, but do you remember when email first came? <laughs> yes, Edie, we all had an email. Uh, okay. We know what an email is. Mine was schoolgirlusa01. Yeah. I just was about that life when I was, like, 11. Um, and there used to be, like, those weird chain letters it was like if you don't send this to 50 people this demon's gonna come this is like that it's like you sp- now you have to make someone speak his name I and know. then he'll come i know so Wait. now he's thinking he's passing this off on to us i know when i read it i was like well Edie's not gonna want me to say no, the real I name so no, i no. tried to come up with some dumb name that wasn't even close to what it what it was and now i don't even remember what the real name good. was. good i'm happy and to anonymous now we know why you're anonymous yeah anonymy you tried it you yeah. definitely tried it and you failed yeah. Nick and I are really smart. We've been on the radio. Yeah, so enjoy your fiance <laughs> vibrating. Yeah. 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 You know, that actually kind of makes sense because we talk about vibrations here all the time. And I know that in meditation and in a lot of that spiritually kind of stuff that me and you actually do, we talk about raising your vibration. Yeah, he might so be maybe, able to see vibration. Yeah, maybe, and he said, I am like more, I'm see, I'm, I've been open to more of the spiritual realm. So I wonder if now he's just kind of sensing those kind of things now. Because it yeah. seems like him and his fiance fiance are uh spiritual people look man all i'm saying is don't you ever try to trick us into speaking a demon's name yeah and then to and then try to give us five stars fans do that all the time oh but we'll give you five stars yeah but you also give us a demon yeah you give us a demon all right um and i see uh, all the time on tiktok people who make deals with deities and things like that witches and stuff like that and they talk about it and they also i've seen uh, the witches say uh that it is Safer to make a deal with a demon deity or than an angel. Yeah. So because the demon ones, at least you know what they want. Well, the angel ones are like, I guess, more tricky. (laughs) Yeah. And I I guess I would say this to anyone that is trying to dabble into the spirit world. Uh, Don't. (laughs) Don't. And don't be fooled at what they allow you to see and what power they they allow you to believe you have. Right. Because it's like, oh, sure, you wanna you wanna see a little something, but you don't know if they're like, just doing it. Yeah, you're like, oh, look what I did, and then they're like, yeah, look what you did. Anyway, so yeah. you wanna say my name a couple more times? Yeah, and can you tell your your favorite podcast to say it? Say my name, say my name when people are around you. Say hey, hey, it's you. Why don't you come in to it's my just soul? It's me, oh. Yagu Lagu. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> it's just me, Lagu Lagu. Yagu Lagu. And they always have come a silly on, name. On. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's keep going. All right. Today's topic is visits with fear and the unknown. 
Do, do, do. Say my name, say my name. Whoa, All scary. Right. Sangunago Lago, keeping his closet closed. And this story comes to us from Fourth Degree Night. My nine-year-old son recently started having issues sleeping in his room. Not that it came on all of a sudden, but we noticed that he started wanting one of us to sleep with him, or he would just come over to our bed. Now, since birth, he has never been afraid to sleep in his bed alone. It's just recently that we have noticed he would make excuses or play games to avoid going to his room alone. He's never been the type of kid that had nightmares. He's never been scared of the dark. Even when we moved into our new house, he quickly adjusted. The only time he started having nightmares was like last year. About the time when the news was all about the pandemic, he started having nightmares that we're all going to die from the virus. So quickly it became a rule in our house to turn the news off. Last night it finally came to a head. As my wife was doing some last minute chores and putting clothes away in his closet, he started to freak out about his closet doors being open. Suddenly I realized that I've seen his closet doors open. Well, really I've always seen them open. I asked my wife if she always closed them. She said no, but our son doesn't want them open. The way he looked scared was so out of place with him. It's not normal. I asked him to sit on the bed with me. I told him he could tell daddy anything. For 45 minutes, he just shook his head and avoided answering my questions. I told him that if anything or anyone told him not to tell me, that it was okay because I'm a daddy and I can fix it. I had assumed that either a kid at school, a cousin, or a YouTube video had scared him. He said no, no one scared him about the closet. Then I told him, well, sometimes you hear the house settling due to wood expansion and and contracting. I explained to him the noises that you hear are normal for older homes. I asked him if there's something that's in his closet that he doesn't like, I can't get rid of it. He started crying silently. I grabbed him and hugged him and said, whatever it is, just tell me. I'm not going to be mad. You're not in trouble. And it's daddy's job to protect you. I turned him towards me and said, look in my eyes and please tell daddy what it is. Tears started rolling down his cheeks. He looked down and said, The skulls come out at night from the floor. They come up and look at me sleeping. I wasn't expecting that. I had a knot in my stomach and a lump in my throat. I said, it's okay. Sometimes we just have bad imagination and it scares us. I asked, when did you start having these nightmares? He said, they're not nightmares. They come when I wake up and see them. I decided to sleep in his room that night. He still insisted on the closet doors being shut. I went ahead and did just that. Well, at some point that night, I was woken up by what I thought was the house settling. I looked over at my son. Thankfully, he was in a deep sleep. As I put my head back down, I glanced over at the closet. One of the doors had cracked open. I saw something pale on the bottom of the closet. I just thought, oh, it's just white sneakers, and I fell asleep. The next morning, I woke up. The closet door was closed. I walked over it just to confirm what I saw. Before opening the closet, I realized, wait, we have never bought him white sneakers. So... Now he's allowed to sleep in our room for the time being. All right. So what a, as an adult, it must be feel, make you feel so stupid to be scared of skulls. Yeah. Like, I remember the day I found out skulls weren't actually scary. I was like, wait, I have a skull. <laughs> everybody, everybody has a skull. That's not scary. They made skulls out to be like demons or something. Like, yeah. if you see a skull, that's like, it's going to chase you or something yeah. like that. Um, but... Good for the dad for believing for believing his kid and letting the the kid just stay in the room with them a little bit longer. And talk. Yeah, I stayed with. I used to sleep in my parents' room uh, till I was pretty old. I'm not like 19, but like I think like 10. Yeah. So I I I sympathize. What do you think about this one? I think it's just freaky. 
You know, okay, th- good, good. That's it. I mean, it's it's pretty much said what it did. Uh, did you, I think. Did, I did think, you learn that on uh, the radio shows you were yes. on to, to oh, give yeah, that that's insight? That's all you say on the radio shows. You don't have to say much. Uh, there's radio like talk. You can do radio talk. Well, what I think uh, we have here is. Uh, <laughs> Uh, keep getting fear from the pandemic situation, just kind of multiplying that. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of uh, families have been experiencing that since, you know, we have been uh, in close quarters for such a long time. So Right. And that everything is so scary. I can't imagine being a kid and trying to comprehend what's going on. Yeah. I can't imagine being an adult and trying to comprehend what's going on. <laughs> but uh, I don't know if the dad uh, saw the white sneakers that he thought it was or if it was the skull. I guess uh, we'll have to wait to see if he has another update. That's very, very crazy that the dad saw something, too. Right. I can only... The main reason I don't want to have kids is because I don't want them to tell me something like this. Yeah. I don't want them to be like, there's skulls in my closet. And I'll be like, let's move. <laughs> oh, let's get out of here. Skulls yeah. are bad. They're just as bad as demons. They're bad. I mean, everyone has one, but that doesn't make them not scary. All know. right. <laughs> let's keep going. My Dream Mother, written by S. Hot. Three seven two eight. A few months ago, like last June or July, I had a pretty weird experience with what I now have come to understand as a spirit. I'm not educated in the paranormal in the slightest. In fact, until this event, I'd been a pretty hardcore skeptic. I don't know exactly how it happened the first time, but I started getting these really vivid dreams. They were different to any dream I've ever had before. I would be in a field with pretty long grass and flowers of all colors everywhere. The sun is always shining, it always feels warm, like a really calm summer day in the most beautiful field you'll see. In this field, not far from me, there was a woman. She was facing away from me. I could never make out much detail besides long, wavy, dirty blonde hair that reached halfway down her back. Her hair would move slightly with the little wind there was. She would also wear this beautiful white dress which reached her ankles. She had bare feet in the grass. She was the same height as me, about 5'7". Now, even to this day, I've never spoken to her, but I always felt a sort of maternal relationship with her, like I was her child and she's my mother. My real mother is alive and well, so this wasn't her spirit. As the months progressed, the dreams got more and more vivid. In the dreams, I would get closer to her, both physically and emotionally. After maybe three months, about September last year, I was able to reach out and touch her. When I did so, I was able to see my hand. It wasn't mine, as in not the one I have when I'm awake. When I touched the woman on the shoulder, as if to alert her of my presence, she turned around and I got to see her face for the first time. I don't really know how to describe faces, but she had the nicest and most inviting smile I've ever seen. She looked like she was in her mid-twenties. As we looked one another in the eyes, the connection between us immediately became stronger. The connection of that between a mother and a child. Soon after, the dreams would take a much more dynamic theme. Her and I walking through the meadow, sometimes on a path, In an old, very rural town, the dreams also became more frequent, happening every night. Once or twice towards the end of this, I blacked out in the day and they would happen. Not a word was ever spoken between us, but I could always feel what she felt, and to an extent, heard her thoughts. Around January this year, though, things started to go bad. In maybe one out of every ten dreams, she would be back where she was in the very first ones, so far away I could barely see her and facing away from me. She always felt sad in these ones, a feeling I had never felt before up until then. It would get steadily worse. The 15th of this month, when she was further away, I had had ever seen her. 
but the despair that came off her physically hurt me like when I woke up, I was in real life pain because of it. After that night, I haven't seen her again. I'm really worried for her. I really hope that whatever made her sad will pass and we can meet again. I want to get her back. All right, Nick, I'll let you uh, go first on this one. Well, you know, I uh, I don't know if I've said this story before, but I had a friend who kind of had like uh, vivid dreams like this where he would be visited by uh, what he just described as a as a being, you know, not knowing exactly what it was. And it would just kind of come look at him and then one day he reached out and touched it and the being turned to him and said, you're not supposed to be able to do that. And then offered him like, well, now that you've made contact with me, uh, I can take you and from this world and show you everything. You have all the knowledge, all this and that. And, you know, my friend said that he denied it, whatever, dealt with some other issues. So to me, you know, I have always had half a belief of spirits visiting people in dreams and, you know, kind of becoming attached, not like a succubus or stuff like that, but spirits obviously like, oh, I, I kind of like them for right now. I mean, that was the whole deal with angels and humans before. And uh, I want to be around them, but then maybe saying, no, I can't do it. I need to, because the deeper I take them into this realm, the worse it is for them in real life. Wow, that's such an interesting take. Um, I was thinking of the stories that people tell once they've taken like DMT, which is a, I guess, like a chemical that gets released in your brain when you're born and when you die. It basically like shoots you off into like a kind of like a a different place in your mind is how I'll put it. I've never done it myself, but I've read a lot of stories and I've had friends who have done it and they all describe a similar thing, which is they kind of go to this place they're not supposed to be, which is why I'm bringing this up is because you kind of just said the same thing. Yeah. That they go to this place and uh, the, the beings that are there, human-like, are like, you're not supposed to be here. Uh, and they're like shocked, basically. Like it's it's kind of like they ascend to this different they all kind of ascend to this different realm that you're talking about, too, with your friend. Yeah. Um, and it seems like when we go there, the creatures there, the, the human-like creatures are like, oh, you're not supposed to be here. But then they're like, okay, let me show you something now that you're here. Because that's a recurring thing I've heard about people who have taken DMT. Yeah. That, that, that they kind of like get shown around this like different university place and the people who are there showing them around do know them mm. and they do. That's why they're like, you're not supposed to be here. They know who they are. So maybe this dream or this different universe where this mother is like your friend, like people who do DMT is just this place that's aware of us, but we're not aware of them unless in an altered state, like dreaming or um, taking DMT. And then when we die, DMT, whatever that chemical is that DMT is, it gets released and we go back to that place. Yeah. So maybe this is, you know, someone like his mother from that place. Because mm, why does that chemical get released when we die and when we're born? And then we can, you know, we can, we can do it as a drug and we go back to that place. Yeah. Those are the, it seems like our connection to that place is when we die, when, when we're born. And so it's, it seems like there is a different place that knows us and that we don't know them. What if, what if when you take <laughs> DMT or this? I think it's DMT. I'm honestly, no, I've, I might I've be heard wrong. a lot about DMT. What if you take it and it, and you go into, you know how we have a lot of like 
organisms in our body that supposedly run us for real. Right. We they have like a, bu- d- a whole bunch of different cells. What if that's and them? Oh. And we visit them and they're like, hey, oh. you're not supposed to be in here. But think- <laughs> while you're here, this is your intestine. Yeah. <laughs> I think there was a Futurama episode like that. Yeah. There, I feel like there's a, every good cartoon has covered that from Futurama to the Magic School Well, bus. Inside Out. Maybe what if it's Inside <laughs> Out where it's like, oh no, you're in your emotions. That's interesting. And then like maybe the mother thing that he's seeing is like his heart. Yeah. And uh, like maybe when you die and your body becomes the grass and the antelope eat the grass. Yeah. And we're all connected in this. Maybe that's when you come back to the organisms. Like you were the consciousness. But then when you die yeah. and, you become, and all your body deteriorates, all those organisms and things inside of you, all those cells and stuff, then you become them again. Maybe. You become I mean, with them again. Because all you are is your brain and those guys. Yes. This, your cells, your... Your blood cells, your all the things that are, the bacteria living in your gut, yep. all of that stuff, the mites on your skin That's right why now. I drink kombucha. Wow, we just re- we just re- really we ran- really took this. All right, let's keep <laughs> let's keep deep. going. Let's keep going. Underneath the nursery, written by Sippery Salmon. When I was around three or four, my mom told me that I used to talk to people at midnight. They weren't people. They were demon-like things. When I moved houses, however, I only saw them every now and again. At my new school, I met a friend, Chris. He saw the same things that I have explained. We became quite good friends and still are today. Once, we were walking on a field past an old nursery. There was a rumor that a young girl had died when she went into the crawl space underneath the nursery. The day after, we walked past again but thought we heard a faint cry. We looked into the crawl space. The crying stopped. We checked again the next day. What we saw, we thought to be a little girl. Then we had what I'm going to call a flashback. We're on a train in formal clothing. It was a different era, like in the 1930s. We were with a little girl, who we have found out to be our younger sister. We were surrounded by passengers who were just shadows. There's one girl we remember, however. She was extremely tall, had red eyes, a pale, thin face, She had a straw hat on and had bloodshot eyes. We looked outside. We're on a bridge. Out of nowhere, we heard an ear-shattering screech like a banshee. All the windows smashed. A shard of glass pierced through our sister's neck. We saw the train driver pull out a razor-sharp golden knife and a wooden handle. He ran out of the cabins, almost leaping towards our sister. He tried to stab her. As he was about to stab her, the train derailed and fell into a river below us. We saw our sister die with a glass shard in her neck. The shadows were gone, and so was the woman. Chris was also dead. The train driver had managed to stab him in the heart. I slowly began to drown. As I nearly died, the train exploded, and we snapped back to reality. We spent the next few weeks speaking about it. We even kept going back to the crawl space. Later that night, I saw our sister. She was in the corner of my room with a slit in her neck where the glass had entered her body. I tried to talk to her, but she just stared at me. I didn't sleep that night. Chris told me he had a dream that... He was in a dark void. He saw a silhouette sprinting toward him, growling and shrieking. Then an ear-splitting scream which broke him from the trance. The next day was okay. Saw nothing weird except for one thing. We were in class and the door was opening and closing by itself. After class, we went back to to look in the crawl space under the nursery. There was something below there. But it didn't look like the little girl. It looked like the lady that screamed at us. 
Oh man, that was a whole that was a whole lot to unpack. Yeah, I'm really I'm actually very confused. Can you explain what can you explain what happened like in an easier term for me? I mean, kind of and and not really. So uh basically she says that she's always been able to see things, demon-like things. She met a friend who could also do the same, uh, which is probably not good if you're if it's two people now that could see yeah. it <laughs> together hanging out. You know, they should probably be like, you know, maybe we shouldn't hang out yeah, because right, we're just right. attracting it more. And I think that's maybe what happened. So they heard the faint cry. They they got zapped into uh, another basically like existence hypnotized. Yeah, they got okay. hypnotized. They or they had like visions. Something happened where they were flashed into a different realm. Uh, and you know, kind of like with dreams, things are a little distorted, is what I'm thinking. So maybe right. this realm seemed distorted. Maybe the truth is is that a train crashed a long time ago, which a train slamming on its brakes sounds like a loud scream, sounds like a banshee. So maybe the reality of it is that people did die in a train wreck. Uh, and they were experiencing that, but you know the bringing. What's of, a, what? What was the okay? I, I get that part, but like, what was there was a vision, and that was their sister. I was confused. They about felt that. like it was my sister, like the other person. Like right, right. I felt like this was my mother. Right. I, there should be a word for that as well. When you're in a dream and you just know something, like yeah, a lot of times in dreams I'll be like a dog or something, and then I'll be hanging out with my dad, who's like a, a shelf. Yeah. And I'll know it's my dad somehow. Yeah, yeah. There needs to be a word for that too. Yeah, it's like a dream recognition. But you connection. just know you're like, oh yeah, that's that shelf is my dad. Yeah, so that's <laughs> basically it. You have, but the the crazy thing is that you have two people experiencing this, right? And then kind of seeing things, which once again I said, I don't think if two people can experience uh, spirits, they just kind of hang out without well, knowing we, how to handle. This it. is a shared vision, basically. Yeah, shared vision. This would be like if uh, Raven-Simone met another Raven-Simone. They both had the same vision of the yeah. past or future. Um, okay, I, I got it. And then the sister thing, these these kids are not related. No, they're not related. But they felt that that girl was both of their sister. That's, that's what they started so, calling it, which now they're giving it a name. So that's the other part of it is that when you start, if you do have contact with the spirit world and you give the spirit an identity, you are inviting it to be in your world. Also, as soon as you wake up from a dream, like if you try to remember how it went, you, like when it's fresh in your mind, like yeah. Wait, what was I thinking? What was the dream about? You can kind of remember it, but then you often find yourself piecing things together that didn't, like you, there's many parts you'll forget and you're yeah. just kind of piecing it together. So yeah. I wonder if that's what kind of happened is like as soon as you wake up, you kind of forget. Yeah, and we also don't know the friend side of the story. Okay. We don't know if the friend is also is okay. just... Okay, now you know. I get it. And then the great thing about this podcast is we had another story like this. <laughs> it was not this story. It was very similar. It was about a uh, person who went back in time to a train station. Yeah. And there, I think there was something bad that happened there too. Yeah, and it was, a quick moment. They said they went back... In time, and it was a, like, different uh, – they could tell it was a different time period by the way people were dressed and blah, 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 blah. But a very similar experience with a train and a yeah. conductor. And there's one person that saw them and said – like, looked at them like, you're not supposed to be Yeah, here. so they were, like, in some kind of, like, weird time traveling thing just like this. There's very many – that's a really similar story Yeah. with the train and going back in time. I wonder what that's about. 
That's what I like about this podcast is that we've heard so many stories that we can piece together shared experiences. Like this person probably does has has no idea that we got a story almost identical to this. Yeah, and that's kind of what I thought too. I was like, all right, now I think I've spoken about other stories where trains. I mean, I think that was an adult man though. You know what's who weird? Who went back? In, who had the same kind of experience yeah, in a different man. story? Yeah, it, you you start. Okay, so if you believe in muses, you know, muses are, are these uh, spirits, angels, whatever, that give us ideas, right? They, they put an idea in our head. And in tons of stories, whether it's The Matrix, Harry Potter, Polar Express, the, the train is always the mode of transportation. So are these spirits telling us, like, this is the best way for us to tell you how to... Yeah, the train might be symbolic for something, yeah. or this might be some kind of experience that was um, like covered up maybe or the train crash with the people dying. It might have been a covered yeah. up experience. So the people who are involved in it are trying to be like, hey, this is what happened. Exactly. They lied about it or whatever. Or the train could be there could be something significant about this moment in time that maybe the the world was supposed to go a certain way and it went a different way. Oh, it, it was like, oh, the world's supposed to go this way. This is the timeline. And then at that moment with that train, for some reason, it derailed yeah. <laughs> the way life was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. So people keep who are sensitive keep coming back to this moment with the train uh, and this particular time period. Yeah, and seeing like, hey, this train, this train thing wasn't supposed to happen, and this is the moment where you guys went into a different universe. Mm -hmm. I'm just the happy. timeline got messed up. I guess I'm just happy that they didn't try to trick us into saying a demon's name. Yeah, yeah. That's well, probably the best part. Of the I think story. what's real, really we should take away from this is that we had a story almost similar, like almost identical. Yeah. Uh, very creepy that that keeps happening to people. Yeah, it is. All right. Not me scared her. Written by. Buckshot 1102. I still have no explanation for this experience. My girlfriend saw my doppelganger, and it scared the hell out of her. This happened back in the summer of 2015. I was serving in the United States Army Reserves. I was stationed in southern Alabama in a transportation company. Sometimes, my girlfriend would come with me on drill weekends. We would crash at one of her friend's apartment. This is where the incident took place. This particular weekend, I was in a large convoy in the middle of nowhere out on some back road in the sticks, well over a hundred miles from the city. I got a phone call from my girlfriend who was staying at that apartment. She was in utter hysterics. She was crying and screaming. She was wondering why I would frighten her so badly. She kept asking me what my problem was and asking me how I even pulled it off. After I was finally able to calm her down, this is the story she relayed to me. Sometime that afternoon, her friend was at work. My girlfriend was at the apartment by herself. Suddenly, there was a loud bang on the door, not a knock. Several loud, violent bangs. After looking through the peephole, she saw me. But there was something off. She says I was wearing my army uniform. It looked like me, but that I had this very angry, aggravated look on my face. She opened the door, wondering why I was home so early. Apparently, without saying a word, I angrily blew past her, shoulder-checking her into a wall. I quickly walked down the hall, taking a left into the bedroom, slamming the door behind me so hard that the whole place shook. She was very alarmed and confused. Why I was home so early and in such an agitated state? I mean, that is so out of character for me. I'm not a violent guy at all. On top of that, if something did happen to set me off, she would have been the first to hear about it. So she's walking behind me, trying to get some information out of me. She opens the bedroom door behind me and sees the closet door slam shut. 
She proceeds to run over to see what I was doing in her friend's closet. When she opened the door, it was completely empty. That's when she had a panic attack and called me. Imagine my shock and confusion hearing that story, knowing that I was well over 100 miles away at the time. She finally believed me after I sent her a photo with my current GPS location, which only served to freak her out more. I thought that there must be some kind of rational explanation for what she saw. Over the years since that happened, I, I came to learn about doppelgangers. I don't know what they mean, what they represent, or why they come around. All I know is that they are creepy. And now I believe my girlfriend came face to face with mine, and it put the fear of God into the poor girl. Take from this story what you will. Honestly, I don't care if anyone believes it or not. I just had to get it off my chest. All right, we did a whole episode on doppelgangers. Nick, do you remember exactly what a doppelganger is? I There was different theories, but the main, main thing was it was just like another version of you that you were never supposed to see or come in contact with. Right, but was it an actual person or just like a, a kind of a, a spirit? Because it, it's it's different than like there are there are creatures that will basically kind of take on our appearance like the goat man, uh, like things that will manipulate themselves to try to look like us for some reason. But a doppelganger seems like it's like a it's it is that creature all the time. Yeah, uh, I mean you, it's you all the time. It, yeah, or it's it's yeah. I mean I. That's the thing is that when we did the the podcast about it, a lot of the stories were, you know, the doppelgangers that saw each other just kind of both act shocked. They didn't have like this much of a reaction to each right. other. Right. Uh, and then there there would very rarely be where it's like the doppelganger it, was violent. Right. It seemed like it was from the doppelganger episode we did. It seemed like it was more somebody else who was unaware. Yeah. Well, let's imagine this for a second. Okay? Not a spirit. Yeah. Because this thing went into the closet and disappeared. So that's not really the doppelganger MO. You know what I mean? That's not really like what we went over. Yeah. So let's imagine this for a second, okay? Say there are uh, different versions of this universe, different dimensions or whatever, different versions of this universe, different you, right? And let's say you all of a sudden ended up in a similar world, but, you know, you made different choices in life, different things happen. So you're kind of like, what's going on? And you get agitated you know, trying to get back to your life because you're like, I don't recognize any of this. This isn't me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, somehow maybe maybe that's an explanation. It's it's another version of this guy that ended up in, in the he, wrong world. Did he talk to her or anything? No, right? No, no, no. He just came in, slammed the door, ran, right. ran past her. Maybe he wasn't even really there. Maybe it was then like in that. a different, a parallel dimension he was doing it. And now this, it, for some reason, she could just see it for a second. Yeah, and that, that, you know, there could be that that take on it, too. Or, you know, it is, like you said, I don't know what southern Alabama, what cryptids are there, or whatever, if it was a cryptid or if it was just a weird entity that's trying to scare her. Um, well, see, the fact it didn't acknowledge her or really try to scare her at all makes me think that it didn't, it wasn't cognizant that it was actually there like it was in a different it was just reali yeah. reality doing the same thing yeah. and we've also had stories submitted to us about uh people who have like gone to work and they had like different employees and everything and everyone was like what this is normal this is how it is and they completely had a different life before and then one day they just showed up at work and everything was different and everyone was like this is the way it's always been i think about it all the time honestly every time i wake up i'm like what if i wake up in a different world i'm just gonna go about casually with it well that's all you can do that's, that's what the people in the stories would do yeah. they were like and now i'm just like 
I remember it being different before. It's almost like a Mandela effect thing where they're like, I remember I had like, you know, a female secretary, I remember, but everyone is saying, this, this is the is way it. it is. So that's it. Even my parents and everything were saying this was the way it is. And they would just be like little differences. Yeah. So I wonder, you know, something like that. Yeah, that's actually one of the scariest things I've ever heard is you just wake up and like things are a little bit different. Like instead of having a blue car, you have a black car or, yeah. you know, just like those little differences or instead of having a... uh brother you have a sister or something like that and that's just the freakiest thing ever because you can't you can't talk to anybody about it yeah yeah you know and uh there is no telling why that would happen i mean we've had real life experiences where people have ended up in accidents and all of a sudden they're they're great at french great at spanish perfect at math you know there's there's people that i can see numbers like I can see the color of numbers right you know this is some real criminal minds episode stuff all right let's keep going A Simple Deal, written by Izzy Nami. I'm 56 now. I've had a good life, and I'm proud to say that I became the man I am now all on my own. But I had a few times in my life where I was given the option to have it easier, all with a simple deal. It began when I was around 9 or 10 years old. It was a foggy day. I was at a cemetery with my parents. I can't tell you what was going through my youthful brain at the time, but I do know that I was repeatedly saying I'm not afraid of the devil then time seemed to freeze. I only remember this as if it was all just black and white. Maybe the fog in the background of the cemetery made it so. I wasn't afraid though. At least that's what I kept telling myself. Behind me, I heard the sound as if someone was clicking their tongue. Then whoever was now behind me spoke out, turned around. I turned, and that's when I saw what was behind me. It was like a man in a white tuxedo, yet his head would look like a hog. His eyes had no pupil, just all white. I looked down at his feet. The being's feet were that of a horse. The being didn't have to tell me who he was. I knew he was the devil. Then all returned to normal in a snap. I can't tell you what exactly I felt as I'm too old now to remember what I felt at such a young age, but I can tell you how I felt when I visited again, when I was visited again as an adult. I was in my 20s. I just married my wife. We were a young couple trying to start a life, poor but making do. We just moved in with each other. I never thought to myself that life was unfair. I just knew that life is what you put into it. So I carried that mindset when the devil visited me one night. This time it was in a dream. The devil told me to start a deal with him. The devil said, I'll give you whatever you want. Just tell me and I'll give it to you. All that I want once it's all over is you. I responded back, I don't need your help. I can get whatever I desire. The devil smiled and then said, then I'll come back when you're in need. The devil came to me again in a dream when I was in my mid-twenties. He offered the deal again. I declined again. He retorted and went on his way. I wasn't visited in my dreams ever again, but there was a time where it happened while I was wide awake. I was 30 years old. My wife was pregnant at the time. My family was growing, but life was still what you get, what you put in. I had family all over Mexico, so I would see some of my family members only a handful of times throughout my life. One day, a distant uncle of mine came to see me. He had money and lived in a better part of the country. This uncle saw my living situation, but I never asked for pity. I was happy with what I had. Before the end of the visit, my distant uncle turned to me and said, I'll give you whatever you want. Just tell me and I'll give it to you. This was a line that I've only heard a couple of times before, but it was from the same being, the devil. I was in shock. I couldn't tell if my actual uncle was still speaking to me or had my reality been changed for a split second. 
Much like that foggy day in the cemetery. I knew time wasn't frozen though. My wife was next to me. She encouraged me to take the offer of financial help. I declined. I told my uncle that my family will do just fine. He left a little after. I never saw that uncle again. My daughter was born not too long after. May 5th, 1993, single the mile. It's one of the happiest and brightest days in my life. From that point on, I had never crossed paths with the devil again, whether in a dream or real life. Maybe he learned that he can't tempt a man who knows where he stands in life. Okay, but that's really unfair if this story is true because you were just a kid when he first came. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's not fair. Kids can't make decisions like that. He's like, hey, do you want me? I'll give you whatever you want. All you got to give me is your soul. He's like, I'm three. So, yeah, I want a, t- I want a Tonka truck. And- <laughs> well, he, he didn't offer him the deal at, as a child. He just oh, I thought- appeared to him. Oh, and then I thought he waited he did till offer. mid-20s. No, no, no. I thought he did offer and said, I'll come back. No, no, no. He oh. just made himself ab- aware. It's oh. like, I'm here. And then mm. went away until the 20s. Okay. Uh, I was never offered any deals. I don't know if you have to be like a special cool guy to get gotta, a deal, but I've never been contacted. You got to hang out at a cemetery and say, I'm not afraid of the devil. No, that's probably uh, yeah. why, because I I hang out at cemeteries and I say, I am afraid of the devil. He's very <laughs> me. I am afraid of the devil. Wait, there, there's skulls here? No. <laughs> not skulls. Not skulls. Yeah, about three times a week I go to the cemetery and say, I am afraid of the devil. Yeah. Uh, just to make sure. But do you think this was really the devil or do you think it was like a demon? And that's the thing. Uh, it could just have been a demon. Right. Because it's... I mean, like, if you get a deal from a demon, I mean, I don't know. That's, like, the devil, that's a whole different deal than yeah. a demon, right? Well, now we come back to what a person perceives it to be. Oh, that I felt like that was my mother. I felt like it was our sister. I right. feel like this was the devil. But I he mean, said he knew it was the devil. And when you have these, like, spiritual things, it, it's kind of like whatever you think, whatever you felt, I've, I feel like that's true. Yeah. So if, I think if he did actually feel it was the devil, then it probably was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's... uh. Yeah, exactly what you said. It's, why, it's, why do you think he was so into this guy? What's this guy got? We don't got. Uh, <laughs> this guy has uh, a life where somebody would probably want to deal. <laughs> They're not two, two comedians <laughs> Yeah. with a podcast. All right, good. Anything else about this one? No. All right, let's keep going. Evil at the Circus. This is my father's story. It took place in Juarez, Mexico in 1942. My father was 20 years old. It was in the early evening on a summer's day. The circus had arrived in town. My father and his younger brother, my uncle, went to check it out. There are always pretty girls at these traveling fairs, but my father wanted to see the freak shows. My father was always fascinated with the elastic man, the cow with two heads, the singing chicken, and all the other weird attractions these shows provided. This time, it was a disappointment. There were the usual presentations, but nothing new. Some of the acts were obviously fake, but this time they met two girls. They were all heading to the part of the circus with live music when they ran into a short, stubby man wearing a dinner jacket. This stranger introduced himself and started talking about the freak shows. He raised his arm and exclaimed he was the greatest illusionist in the world. He said he had a trick that was both scary and amazing. My father asked this stranger if he was part of the circus. The stranger said he auditioned for a job, but the owner turned him down. My father asked him why. The stranger said his act was so frightening that the owner accused him of being the devil. Now, my father and uncle were intrigued. They asked the stranger if they could see the trick. The stranger said, of course, with an exception. They would have to come to the trailer where he lives. Oh, no. There, he would show them. 
as a stranger reassured them that his trailer was not far away. My father, my uncle, and the two girls followed the stranger until they arrived at the stranger's place. There were some steps leading up the, to the front door. The stranger showed them in. My father and company went to go sit on the sofa. They noticed that the trailer was a good size and well kept. After turning up the lights so the stranger's guests could see better, the stranger put on a cape, commenced with an introduction, bowed, held up his right hand, and then he proceeded to put a white glove on his right hand. He extended his arm and started running his left hand over and under and around his gloved right hand, all while closing and opening his hand and wiggling his fingers. The stranger started chanting some strange words in another language. Then, with his left hand, he grabbed the tip of the white glove. The stranger turned and looked at my father. The stranger asked him and the others if they were ready. They said yes, and with a quick motion, he removed the glove. My father and uncle were in shock and disbelief. The girl screamed. Staring them in the face was the skeleton of the hand still no! wiggling its fingers. <laughs> the stranger turned the hand around so that they could see the back. My father said it was real. Then my uncle got up to get a closer look. That's when the stranger grabbed the top of my uncle's head with his bony hand and said that now he was really going to show them something. That was all it took. The girls ran out the door screaming and crying, followed by my father and uncle. The stranger came out the door yelling and laughing. My father stopped and turned around. The stranger was standing there at the top of the steps with a grin on his face looking at my father. On the ground was a wooden plank with long nails pointing up. The stranger jumped off the steps and landed right on those nails. The nails went through his shoes and blood started to flow. My father stood there, transfixed as the stranger started to laugh again while pointing at him with his bony finger. My uncle returned, grabbed my father by the arm, and both of them ran. My father and uncle knew that that was the devil. They were grateful that they were able to escape. It's a day he will and can never forget. All right, not the skeletons. We've already we've already established those are the scariest things in the world. The skeleton hand. All right, yeah. there's a lot here. We, well, first of all, they're lucky that it was his bony finger, not his bony something else. Oh man, because yeah. man, that's what I was thinking yep. was going to happen. I was like, uh oh, here, here comes the bones. Um, <laughs> there's just no way. There's just no way. I mean. It had to have just been a really good trick. I mean, essentially, it probably was just a really good trick. It's got to be a really good trick, and it's got to be a trick that he had to do in his trailer to do it. Yeah. Because he could have just done it. Uh, yeah. He could have been like, okay, come over here to this bathroom. A trick that's too scary for an audience. I could see that. You know, the guy was like, no, it's too scary. Right. Uh, and, but it is still a trick. Remember when we saw 90 Day Fiance when uh, that one guy, white guy, went to like, uh, one of the South American countries to, with his wife and then did a card trick and the whole family was like, he's the devil. Because uh, <laughs> he did a card trick. Yeah, because yeah. he did a card trick. He like made Ash spell out their yeah, name yeah, or whatever yeah. and okay. they're like, oh, he's the devil. No. Right. Oh. So okay, I mean. But you know the, like, that a card trick is a lot different than seeing a skeleton hand. Some people are great illusion. I mean, yeah. I mean, this guy may have so been a great illusion. It sounds like this had to be a trick that had to be done in a trailer a, a secluded place whatever he probably was like yeah i'm gonna scare these kids yeah. to death or whatever you know i i lost the audition yeah I, i'm the best illusionist so let's let's start show some people you know like, like i'm still here let's do it some people just like to freak people out i right. i remember I reading, like us. Uh, yeah <laughs> i remember reading in uh, marilyn manson's uh, biography that uh they had bought like some prop from a magic store that would shoot flames and they were like, yeah, and we'd go to, to uh, whichever Disney World is in Florida. I don't know if it's Disney World, Disneyland. And they would say, yeah, we'd take acid and then we'd just shoot those flames at people and, and freak them out because mm -hmm. we looked like 
We yeah, look no, like demons. I, I totally, I, I, I don't think this was actually the devil. No. Uh, even though what I just said about intuition, I think this was a really good trick. Uh, yeah. And then the fact that he said, hey, I just did this trick and they said it was too scary. Yeah. You know, it's too realistic looking. So I'll just show you guys. It's- or he just lied to him and did that just to scare him. <laughs> you know, like he could have been like, no, I am. I am the owner. Yeah. You know, I like you could have been like, because some people are also like that. Like, I just want to trick someone. That's going to be fun. Let me come up with a whole story. Yeah, figure it yeah, out. Yeah. Freak no, him out. People are like that. I'm, yeah. In fact, I was like that. I I've said before many times on this podcast how badly I feel about uh, that me and my friends as teenagers used to uh, follow people around in, yeah. in, in our cars. We used to uh, follow them for several, several miles just to freak them out. And I I don't know why we did that. It's so now looking back, I'm like so I'm so uh, I feel so bad for those people because they probably were so scared. But that, yeah, it's the same thing. We were like, oh, I want to freak somebody out. I want to, and you did. Um, yeah. All right. Anything else? No. All right. All right, guys, before we get to the last story, don't forget to join us on the Facebook group, the Instagram, and our website at True Scary Stories with Edie. Tell us your scary story. We'd love to read it here on the show. Also, do not forget to give us five stars after this. Nick worked very hard on this episode, and in a parallel universe, uh, this is called True Scary Stories with Nick and mm-hmm. never Edie. And never Edie. So, I mean, after this, please try to remember... Give us the five stars. It really does help the podcast so much. Uh, Nick, go ahead. Uh, and I'll be in Houston this weekend with Michael Yeo. I'll be in Corpus next uh, month. And uh, look look for other dates coming up soon, but those are the two big ones. All right. So if you want to see Nick doing stand-up, he is going to be in Houston. Where can they Where can they find that? At the that? Houston Improv with Michael Yo. Okay. So look up the April Houston. April 1st through the 3rd. Okay. Look that up, and you'll be able to go see Nick live. He's very funny. In fact, he's got a... Uh, special out right now called love me at my worst and you can hear that anywhere you listen to podcasts yeah oh and also the thursday show is uh 14 and up <laughs> okay yeah so if you're because michael yo wants to do family show. yeah okay so if you if you got some kids and you know you bring them on in okay they're, okay. they're 15 whatever you're trying to connect with them you know, they, they're getting older. They're not wanting to hang out with you anymore. Take them to the comedy club, you know? You can't buy them drinks. you got to get them drunk before. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I think you can in Texas. You can oh. drink with your kids. Okay, well, well wow. Uh, this last story is called Scott's Unusual Near-Death Experience. It all began with an accident. Saturday, June 10th, 1995. Scott was just six years old. He had joined his mother and nine-year-old brother as they went to purchase an ice cream cone from a vendor who was touring their neighborhood. Almost immediately after being handed his cone, Scott darted out from behind the ice cream truck and was struck by a passing motorist. The impact caused Scott to make several aerial somersaults before landing on the pavement some 25 feet from where he had been struck. When his mother, Karen, ran over to her son's twisted torso, she found that he had no pulse. The following narrative was written by Karen approximately 10 months after the incident. I heard the car slam into him, heard the deceleration of the engine and the squeal of its brakes as the driver stopped dead. There's nothing but silence as I watched the upper half of Scott's body arc away from the hood of the car, 180 degrees different from the point of impact on the hood with the right side of his head, launching him into three complete somersaults in the air as he catapulted away from the car. I was horribly fascinated by how limp he was, like a rag doll with legs and arms all akimbo. He settled onto the pavement on his right side as if someone were laying him there. His feet first, 
then his torso, then his head. I was disconcerted by the fact that this all occurred in slow motion in a, in a weird fashion. There was a real grace to it. Scott landed on his right side. His left arm was straight down and underneath him. Both his legs were drawn up and were lying on top of his left arm. To the left of his torso was turned sharply to the right as, as was his head. And his right arm was flung unnaturally across his chest. He landed on his right side, but the force of the impact with the ground had caused his hips to bounce and flip abruptly to the left side. I'm a hospice home care nurse, and he looked like every dead body that I've ever seen. Waxy looking, bloodless skin, unmoving, not breathing. I didn't know what to do. I'm also CPR certified and was a CPR instructor, but he looked so broken. I was afraid to touch or move him in a way that would allow me to perform rescue breathing. Scott's father, who had been inside their house at the time, witnessed most of the accident through the window. He immediately dialed 911 and informed the operator of the location of the accident. Then he ran over to his son and cradled Scott in his hands, whispering the phrase, I love you, in his ear over and over until the ambulance arrived. Scott was taken to a hospital and placed in the intensive care unit. He remained under observation until he came out of the coma and his vital signs had stabilized. When Scott regained consciousness some eight hours later, he told his parents about what he experienced following the accident. Scott's account began with the realization that he could not avoid being struck by the car, followed immediately by the memory of the impact, which he described as being punched by the car. This trauma was followed by a bilocation of consciousness and an out-of-body experience. Scott remembered being in his body as it was struck. He also recalled witnessing the entire accident from a vantage point of a nearby tree some 30 feet away. He recalled seeing his body making three somersaults in the air and then landing on the pavement. While observing the accident and its aftermath, he felt no pain whatsoever, but he was dismayed that he could not make himself heard or seen by his family members. He shouted to his brother several times to come play with him, but to no avail. However, on one occasion following the accident, when his brother Graham and his mother were going to the hospital, Graham reported that he had heard Scott call out to him in his head, but that he ignored the call because he could see Scott's body laying unconscious on the pavement. Scott remembered hearing his father say I love you to him, but he could not make his own reply audible to his father. When he tried to hug his father, Scott's arms simply passed through his father's body. Scott next found himself facing the entrance to a vortex-like tunnel in a bad, dark place. He described the tunnel as looking like a tornado laying flat on the ground. As he was drawn into the tunnel, Scott found himself face to face with the devil. The devil spoke to Scott in a deep, raspy voice saying, You're bad, and made an attempt to grab him. At that point, Scott was completely terrified. He subconsciously felt that the devil was trying to suck him away from God. Scott said that in some way he could feel a strong negative force emanating from the devil. Scott described the devil as being composed of rotting, putrid flesh, covered with sores and slime. The devil projected the impression of a being who was both mentally and physically ill. Scott did not recall how he was rescued from the clutch of the devil. He stated simply that he desperately tried to keep his faith in God. He believes that God rescued him, but he cannot remember exactly how it occurred. Scott emphasized that he had no control over what was happening. He compared the experience to being moved through the house of horror on a carnival ride. By whatever that means, Scott next found himself being whisked through the tunnel toward a distant point of light. When asked about the characteristics of the tunnel, Scott could remember that only that it seemed to contain the faces and voices of all those who had ever known and loved him. Scott recounted that after emerging from the tunnel, he met his deceased Uncle Russell, who had died only a short time before Scott's accident. Scott and his mother gave two different versions of this meeting with his uncle. Scott's mother remembered that in Scott's original account, he described his uncle Russell as being dressed in a gray suit. 
The uncle apparently never wore dress suits when alive, so it seems strange that Scott would describe him this way. She later recalled that the uncle had been buried in a gray suit. The fact, however, was unknown to Scott. In a more recent description of the meeting with his uncle, Scott reported that his uncle was wearing the same bed clothes that he wore before his death, and that during their meeting he was in a bed covered with a sheet. Uncle Russell told Scott they had been in a bad accident, but he was not to worry because everything would be okay. Scott remembered that during their conversation, his uncle had addressed him by his nickname, Buddy. In contrast to his initial terror, Scott next reported seeing a bright light that did not hurt his eyes. Scott felt a goodness and security emanating from the light, and within it, a presence that he described as God. He could not recall whatever transpired during meeting with God. However, toward the end of the encounter, a separate light came from God. Scott felt that the lesser light was an angel. Scott could not distinguish the form or gender of this light being or angel. He recalled only that the light resembled a star on a Christmas tree. However, his mother Karen remembered that on one occasion following his release from the hospital, Scott had told her that the angel's name was Susan. The angel escorted Scott through a dark but open place in which he could still see things. When asked about the features of this dark realm, Scott replied that it was different from what we see here. Scott felt that the memory of these features went away or were taken away after his experience. The last scene Scott recalled was of being taken by the angel to what he called a dungeon. When questioned about why an angel would take him to a dungeon, Scott replied that, that the dungeon was probably not the right word to use. He said that it was not a room filled with chains and straw-like in the movies, but rather a safe place where the devil could not get at him. Scott recalled that this room was strongly built but had no door or windows. It was also a good dark place. He felt the presence of a protective being, the angel there with him. The imagery of this sanctuary was the last thing Scott remembered before regaining consciousness in the hospital. All right. Wow, I really, this is such a, a great story. Nick, go ahead. I want you to go first. All right. So uh, what I just kind of reviewed was uh, uh, a journal that Richard Bonafont, a retired medical researcher, uh, wrote when he started collecting and reviewing near-death experiences from multiple people uh, who have had them. Now, as he was talking to Scott, he interviewed Scott actually uh, when Scott became 11, no longer six. And what he learned was he asked Scott, hey, can you make some new drawings of what you saw, the devil and the angel? And when Scott was a kid, he drew a very crude, ugly drawing of like, uh, like he said, a, a weird Uzi thing. But uh -huh. as older, he was able to actually draw, you know, the face, which was like red eyes, raised eyebrows, nostrils. So Richard, the... Uh, doctor started kind of comparing the notes with other near-death experiences and he said most people you know mo most of the time what we think of god or what we think of heaven is what we will see right mm. whatever we were told is what it is and a lot of people first experience uh the good part of a near-death experience was first they experience the heaven part then the hell scott experienced it in reverse and then the other thing that caught this doctor's eye was that his description of the angel and the devil was like unlike anything ever been written or said. So the doctor was like, this feels more authentic because Scott was a kid. He's not going to like read into horror descriptions of the devil. Mm -hmm. And it was completely different. Even the description of heaven and the description of, of the safe place and the vortex was all different from other people's uh, experiences with near death. So he started putting it all together and he said, I do believe that that uh, Scott did experience this and it was probably more uh, of a real depiction of what is seen, 
you know, uh, and apparently this this mate's got more religious as a kid. He started going to church, asking more things. Mm-hmm. A lot of people traditionally describe uh, angels as being in human form, female mm-hmm. and gender, dressed in white garments. Mm-hmm. Devils are portrayed as, you know, pointed horns, bat-like wings. That's usually what we do. Scott did not describe this at all like them. You know, mm-hmm. he just described the devil as a sick, repulsive being with rotting flesh and having the personality of a crazy person. So it's it's the idea of like, you know, this kid, uh, the only thing that the doctor took away from Scott was he asked him, so how how is your personal life? And Scott was like, well, you know, during that time, I was kind of a bad kid, or at least that's what I was told in school. And so, you know, I would come home. His, his mom said that he would come home and just say to himself, I'm bad. I'm a bad kid. I'm bad, right? And so maybe that's why mm-hmm. the first thing you experienced was this demon devil thing saying, you're bad, you know? Right, because that's what you kind of think you deserve on a yeah. spiritual level. So then that's what you encounter first. Yeah. While most other people think that they are good. I yeah. mean, I think most people think that they are inherently good, even though they do bad things or they mess up or they've done evil things. I think most people are like, but I'm good. Yeah. I just, especially since you know you and you know why you did something. So that might be why other people go to the heaven like place first. But also this dungeon room that you're talking that he's talking about kind of sounds like purgatory, like where you go in between heaven and hell. People who uh, are it hasn't been decided whether they're going to go to heaven or hell. They usually go to like a purgatory place. Yeah. Described uh, in the Christian religion. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's that's very much so. It's neither here. It's neither place. It's neither here nor there. And you're just like you said, I was just protected. (laughs) I was just protected until everything came came back better. You know, so again, that we have had a similar story to like this very thing. We had a recently we had a story about a kid who died in a car accident and he remembers seeing it from above mm-hmm. and his dad carried him and he just remembers becoming like being in the new pl- or in the new place his dad had carried him to, but he couldn't walk, blah, blah, blah. Do you remember that story? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do actually. Yes. Yeah. And it was very similar to this in the way that he described uh, seeing things from above, the way that he described not being able to, like he was seeing what was going on, but he wasn't able to interact with his family and stuff like that. It's, it's very similar to a story that we've had. Uh, very like I think it might have been last week we had that story. Yeah, I don't remember when, but yeah, I remember that. I mean, you know, I completely, I, I do have, uh, you know, in some corner of my brain a belief in near death experiences. I, I believe a lot of people's stories. Yeah, uh, I do too, and especially because of the way your mind fills in the blanks for you when you kind of are missing information. Yeah. I've been learning a lot lately about like memories and the fact that most of your memories are not actually how they happened. You're, yeah. You just remember the key points and then your mind fills in the the rest for you. Yeah. And that happens a lot with vision and stuff like that. Our mind just fills in the blanks for us, uh, makes it up for us. So I think that that's definitely possible when you're having these, these out-of-body experiences where your mind is gone. Your mind is not... Uh, you're not conscious, you're not yourself, and so your mind just fills it in yeah. <laughs> for you, like this is what happened. I think that's possible. And then another thing I think that's possible is there's been so many stories of people who, you know, they, they've been able to say what the doctors who are operating on them were saying, stuff like that, that they, yeah. should, what they should have never known. Um, so I am lean more towards there is a moment, and we've talked about this before too, that when you die, there's a little time in between before you go on. 
Like you're yeah. still kind of hanging around for a minute, like maybe watching things or figuring out like, oh, I'm dead. Yeah. And, you know, like going back to I always come back to like the idea of, of we are energy, you know, which means that we are uh, different compounded amounts of, of different frequencies and energy. Right. So when you get hit and something like violently hits you out of your body that, yeah, a part of you gets projected out, you know, which mm. is probably the conscious part where it's like, <laughs> you're, you're, well, I could see it. You're like, you're thinking like cartoon, like boom, hit, oh, floating up above. Yeah, well, it's yeah. energy, you know, right. it's just like, you know, if you knock an atom hard enough, right. where, where's it, where's um, it going to go? I'll, I'll leave us with, with this. I said my own experience that's similar to this one is I was in a very bad car accident um, and... I didn't pass out or anything like that. But when it happened, I had, like, before the car hit us, I could see it was going to be bad. And I saw the crash and us spin out and everything. I saw it from above. Uh, but I never I never passed out or anything. I just, my, I remember seeing it from above. I don't remember it, it. I don't remember it happening the way that it would be from my perspective. It was yeah. like, I was like, oh, I'm going to die. Because uh, I could tell it was going to be such a bad accident. And I was like, oh, I'm going to die. And then I saw it from above and I was like, whoop. And then luckily I, you know, snapped back into this, seeing it from my vision. But for that second, when I thought I was going to die, I did see it from above. Yeah. All right. So similar. All right, Nick, anything else? No, that's it. All right. Check out Love Me at My Worst. Uh, you can listen to that on Spotify, whatever, whatever you're listening to this on. Check it out. Uh, and then check out Nick in Houston this weekend. Yes. All right, good. Doing stand-up. Yes. Bring your 14-year-olds. Yep. Only Thursday. <laughs> I can't guarantee the other shows. All right. And go give us five stars right now. We love you guys. Stay safe. Bye.